I'm Zach. I'm a musician, a former worship leader. I helped destroy Mars Hill Church. Not really sure what I believe anymore, and I'm okay with that. I'm Dave. I'm a Bible theology nerd, an occasional preacher, a movie buff. Our brand new Speaker of the House apparently loves David Barton, and I'm an evangelical. Yeah, you are. This is Veterans of Culture Wars. Veterans of Culture Wars is a podcast where we have conversations about evangelical Christianity. We welcome you to the podcast, whether you are a believer or not. We have a special guest in the VCW Hall on this episode. And Zach, I just met our guest, but apparently you and our guests go back a little ways. Yeah, you know, go back to my my early 20s, my right after Mars Hill in a church of basically all Mars Hill people still Acts 29 uh church yeah uh it was it was called anchor uh it mm-hmm. felt like it was kind of a good thing because it wasn't Mars Hill but then after a little while and with more time we're like nah it was a, it was a really bad thing too um so um I'm happy that uh that our guests made it out as well uh mm-hmm. although they had to go a few states away to really get away from it all i'm i'm still in the same general vicinity virginia spots is our guest they are a writer actor and podcast producer known for the work on the horror fiction audio drama podcast the sheridan tapes uh and as their pin tweet says they frequently write on themes of grief loss religious trauma queerness and the haunting mingling of horror humor and heartbreak also, they recently trained to become a death doula, which is about as powerful a combination of words as I've ever heard. And <laughs> I want to know all about that. Welcome to the show, Virginia. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's really fun to be here. This is my second time this month being on a podcast to talk about the combination of all of these things. And it sort of just has seems to be happening out of nowhere. So it's fun to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I I noticed that that other one has not been released yet, so yes. I think we're going to probably beat them to I think to, so. to the punch when it comes to that. And uh, maybe if I get to know them, I'll, I'll I'll lord it over them in the future. I don't know. <laughs> we can claim to be the ones that introduced uh, you to the world of uh, the evangelical podcast circuit uh, late to twenty twenty three. Oh yeah, she's she's gonna explode on that network, I'm sure. Oh yeah, Virginia, do you want to start? Uh, Zach mentioned that you both were a part of Anchor Church, that was yeah. in the Acts 29 network. But do you want to share more of your evangelical story, your journey with it, and then out of it, um, wherever you want to go? Sure. Um. All right. So, I was raised in the church generally, um, like non-denominational evangelical or southern baptist and uh i remember you know doing the giving my life to christ thing for the first time when i was about five 
Uh, and I think I did it mostly out of peer pressure and also because they were taking a group of kids sort of behind this like um, theater set in, in the kids church area. And I was like sort of curious what was back there. <laughs> so I just remember like like a little bit late than everybody else, like standing up and just running back there and like trying to find where people were. Um so you had never been back there. No. You wanted to see <laughs> were there like curious. rumors about what might be back there, like with No, I was just and... like I I just wanted yeah, I guess I was curious if like the the I don't know, the feeling of the set continued. Like was it, you know, was it like this whole cool thing that was built back there? And then, you know, I discovered the, the secret of theater flats. So it was, you know, it was immediately ruined for me, which I suppose is a good metaphor for my journey. <laughs> um, so yeah, I um, I didn't totally take it like super seriously until I got to middle school and high school. Uh, that's when my family moved to New Mexico. There was a lot of cross country moves, and um, I until then you were in the Seattle area. Uh, Seattle for a bit. And then Tennessee briefly, and then New okay. Jersey briefly, and then New Mexico. So I okay, yeah, you I, really did move around. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah around to like yeah, like I used to tell the joke that I made like a Jesus fish across the country to finally end up in New Mexico. Um, definitely diverse a... di parts of the country. I mean, yeah. different, definitely different cultures within America. Yeah, You're in I'm... a military family or, or no, just planning like... churches or. Um, my parents divorced and then my mom like found a job in Tennessee and then she actually did marry someone in the military, which is why we moved to New Jersey. Um, he was not a good man. So we moved away to New Mexico. So, okay. yeah, that was the whole journey there. Um, and really I found, um, a sense of structure in the church, um, that I did not really have at home because like my mom still took several years to figure things out we were like living with family um and she really did her best i think for not realizing exactly how uh neurodiverse our family was so it was a struggle um sort of trying to make just regular life work and it's funny now looking back on that and realizing how much we all needed sort of better support systems around us like for ADHD and autism mm -hmm. and that was just not talked about and it was just like this is just what life must be like for everybody but I would see like friends who were you know seemed to be have it together a little more and I'd be like mm, I don't understand how people do that so anyway that was just going to the church and having a structure having somebody say like this is what we do on Sundays this is what we do on Wednesdays and like you know this just structure built into the week was really helpful for me and my brain and it ironically I think uh helped me sort of keep it together and like get a sense of self and a sense of groundedness like in my growing up years um all of the other I would say now unhelpful stuff as well definitely purity culture was hugely hugely not helpful for me um and I think it really, it really blocked me from connecting to a true sense of self, creativity, and sexuality inside of me. Mm -hmm. That was like, it took so many years to untangle that. Um, and I would notice it only in the ways that like, I would be trying to perform 
uh, like in a musical or a play at school. And there would be ways that I couldn't connect with something more authentic beyond a certain level. And I never really understood like why that block was there. Cause I was like hugely creative. I was in choir and, um, and in theater stuff and I did drawing and I did like as much as I could. I just felt alive when I did as much of that as possible. Yeah. And it was, it was like sort of alarming to feel like there's this block there and I don't know what it is, but it feels like it's keeping me from really reaching into something authentic inside of me. So now I know that to be, I was actually creatively in, in so many ways blocking myself because I did not trust myself and I was taught to not trust myself. So, um, after that went away to college, um, I purposely didn't go to church for a bit and I experienced this like huge, huge disruption to my life in just like, I didn't know how to manage anything because that structure was gone. Yeah. I didn't have anybody who was sort of continually checking in on me. I had ADHD and did not know it. And I would say the purity culture was still with me, even if I was trying to not listen to it, because it would be like anytime my life was starting to crumble it's like, oh, well, that's because you're sleeping with people. <laughs> and this is a natural consequence of like God's punishment, right? Right. Um, and uh, so after some years of college, I had this moment where like I just could not keep my shit together. I kept trying and I didn't understand why things were so hard for me to get to class, get to work. Like I... um. I have so much sympathy for like 19, 20 year old me because all of the talent was there. All of the everything was there. All of the intention was there even. And I just couldn't get my shit together. Um, and so that is about when I reconnected with a childhood friend of mine from Seattle, um, who is still an amazing friend of mine. Thankfully, we both made it out of the toxic environments we were in. Um, and her and her whole family happened to be going to Mars Hill Ballard. And what's funny is while while I was still in New Mexico, right before I moved away to Kansas City for a bit for college, I was there when the church I was going to changed into Mars Hill Albuquerque that summer. And that's when mm. we reconnected. So it was like, this must be God, right? <laughs> so um, I was like, okay, you know what? I'm going to move to Seattle and um, I'm going to do a brave thing because I've always wanted to move back there. And I'm just going to move there to go to church, work, and make friends. And um, I moved there, and I had that structure again. And I was focusing on very simple things and, like, relationships and making money. And my life got better. <laughs> so I was like, oh, my God, it's it. I should have just been going to church this whole time. And I, I think especially for... I was at Mars Hill U District, and so it was, like, a lot of younger people especially... Um, and I think in some ways I'm, I'm actually grateful that that's the one I ended up at because there was sort of this sense that even though all of the stuff was still happening, like unhelpful leadership structures and, um, emotional abuse and spiritual abuse happening, there were a lot of new students coming in and out constantly. And like people who had like things that they were planning for their lives that were definitively not like primarily focused on church. It was like, I'm about to go to nursing school. I'm about to be an engineer. It was like the, these career focused people that um, 
it, I don't know, it lessened some of the harmfulness for me, I believe. Um, just being surrounded by people who were actually focused on a career. And also as a woman who grew up in the church, like that wasn't really something that I saw a lot of. So it was really unique to be around a bunch of women who were going to UW and had career plans and they still wanted to be, you know, the Christian wives and moms and everything, but they also really cared about their nursing degree or they cared about, um, uh, there was somebody that I knew that went to school to learn how to make prosthetics and she was amazing at it. And it, it was like all sorts of things like that. Um, and around that time, I was like trying to gently, gently reconnect with my creativity because I was really afraid that like that was the thing that would lead me down this dark path um, again. And I was, again, experiencing that block of just like, I can't quite do it. Like the best thing I could do was write <laughs> shitty slam poetry about uh, <laughs> it, would, it would like start out with like a very honest question about doubt. And then there would be the necessary turn into like, but Jesus says it's not this way. And so therefore it's, it's like a, it, you do the leap and you uh -huh. continue the poem. Um, I, my, my girlfriend has described how like she wrote a lot of that same kind of poetry. She's a songwriter, but she wrote a lot of that same kind of poetry when she was in Mars Hill. So I think a lot of us were doing that. Um, I thought that you were one of the few people at Anchor that didn't have a Mars Hill background. Oh, um, no, I did not for like a super long time, but I, but I definitely did. And like, so I, you, you would have, you would have shown up at anchor pretty early on. Um, so 2009 or 2010, 2013. Yeah. I wasn't at anchor until 2013. Oh, wow. Cause okay. So I, I left in 2014. So yeah, it was like a, a brief little wow, that's window it? of time there. Yeah. It was a very compressed time of my life. I'll, I will it say was. that. And it, it was like at the end of the time for Anchor Church too. So it felt, I think, more like intense and focused. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I just remember I, I was playing music there. Is it okay if I mention Conrad? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Yeah. Um, you you were there with, I believe you were married at the time um, to Conrad. Yes. Uh, he made, make, still makes uh, music on Game Boys. I was doing that as well. And Did you make the theme music? Yeah. Yeah. For the show, I, I made that. that. Oh, so thanks. That was all Zach. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's it's actually really funny that the the drum track of it comes from like the last thing that I did for a church. Like I was mm. playing at this Nazarene church and the worship leader asked me to come up with a Game Boy part for this for this song that they were, you know, covering, of course. Uh, and <laughs> it ended up being terrible. Like nobody else could like play to the track. <laughs> like they all got <laughs> way off the beat and I just like stopped it midway and we finished without the Game Boy. But I when we started up the show, I pulled out that that drum track and and added all the other stuff around it. Um so yeah. there's some sort of like kernel of deconstruction in the music <laughs> itself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I, I was, I was playing music there and, and involving Game Boy stuff. And, and Conrad was like, Hey, you know, a kindred spirit, you know, another, mm -hmm. another person that does this. I, I yeah. feel like I have this memory of you coming up with him and wearing like a bluish grayish coat with a hood. Mm -hmm. Does that, does that track? Do you do you, do you remember having right. yeah. I do have that coat yeah 
Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why that stuck in, in my memory. I thought of that today. Um, yeah. And we just talked about music stuff and uh, the both of you ended up playing music there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause he can do other stuff. He'd play piano and. Oh yeah. He does so many things. Stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so that, that's how we initially connected, but yeah, I just, I just was under the impression that you weren't part of the Exodus, uh, Mm. from Mars Hill. So I'm interested to know what, what made you leave. Oh my gosh. Well, yeah, I don't know if I want to mention his name or not, but there was a guy who started sort of a, a parachurch ministry thing that was on like, um, it was counseling based and it was on like hearing from the spirit of God while you're doing it so it was like a little more charismatic sort of Mm -hmm. and he like was for a time trying to get like a an associate pastor position there i think and they did not take him on for that um for reasons which became apparent in um his family's life later but uh yeah so i was like sort of an editor for him and like trying to help him put together this book and this he uh looking back on it i'm like oh that was the alcoholism and the mania um Hmm. that wasn't like a real thing (laughs) but i was like oh well god's calling me to this this is so exciting and so i didn't actually leave mars hill because i had problems with it which is interesting but that was like right before the year where everything crumbled so all of my close friends were either still there or very affected by it so it was like I felt it heavily just like watching all of them go through it and uh and I do remember going to the last service that was at Mars Hill U District which was super insulting because they like played a video sermon and somebody from headquarters was there to like make sure it got played and um looking back now I'm like I wish I would have just because I I kept thinking about this during the sermon I was like I want to stand up and turn around and look this dude in the eyes because he's going to fucking hate that if a woman does that to him. And I was like, I thought I was like so close to doing it. And I still kick myself that I didn't because it was so insulting. There were so many people at that church who, even though I'm not a Christian anymore, I know how genuine they were. And I know how so many of them were caught up in something that like they did not do any harm to other people they were just there and they all showed up to be there at the end with each other even though we weren't really allowed to like i don't know have a local pastor say something about like well it's too bad we're shutting down because our local the local pastor had been one of the people to sign a letter to mark driscoll telling him to get his shit together so it was like yeah take the voice away at the end it was it was awful um so i yeah i really felt all of that and then um it was after all of that stuff crumbled and, you know, stuff came out about like things that Mark was up to just seeing the way everything crumbled apart. Um, I started having panic attacks at anchor and I didn't know they were panic attacks, but it was like, you know, the preaching would start and I would have to go to the bathroom and I would stay in the bathroom um, for a while. And then it started being like, I would, I was a little more aware of it and I would just like get up and go outside and then I would get up and go outside and start crying. And then a friend of mine would also be out there crying and we'd both be like, what are we going through <laughs> right now? Yeah. What is this? Yeah. I, I knew multiple uh, w- women, fr- friends that 
told me that that they were having panic attacks at anchor yeah yeah i don't know really, how many but really strange. several have told me that and it wasn't a large church and it's like it's weird too because i i don't know that i can remember specific things that i was reacting to it was honestly just like every sunday it yeah. was like an energy thing i don't know yeah um well like the environment was it um cuz i i think there are lots of books and articles about people that go into a church and because of what they've experienced in the past, they mm -hmm. have a physical reaction, a, a panic attack to just being like in a church building. Yeah. I, it was, it honestly, it felt like the, the preaching, like the, the being mm -hmm. preached at, I think that's sort of where it had gotten to for me. Cause I think the, the things I was processing were about how, I had I thought that Mark Driscoll's preaching had put so many good things into my life and like I had been hearing from God when Mark Driscoll preached. And then I feel like I just saw the amount of lack of care, just lack of giving any shits at all. That was behind everything he got up to. And it felt like um why would I listen to another white man <laughs> is sort of how it felt like, why, why would I listen to another white man to tell me who God is? And when... I wouldn't say that our pastor there was emulating Mark specifically in no, his style. He, he was, but like I... he lived in Mark's basement. Like he was friends with Mark. He modeled yeah. his theology on Mark. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. The theology I think is what felt the, yeah, it, the theology being similar, I think is what felt triggering for me. And like personally, like you actually could have conversations with him and you could, you yeah. know, uh, so it's like he was not in any way um, the kind of abusive asshole, at least to me, that uh, Mark Driscoll was. So I didn't want to put that out there. I have no idea what else he got up to, but I know to me he was like uh, non-problematic for the most part. So, yeah, yeah, I, um, I, I think there's something about the 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 vibes in that room the yeah i i think because it it must have been like 90% of the people there were ex mars hill people yeah and all of them left for some reason some some just felt like we want to be part of this plant and that's a good thing and you know uh for a lot of us that have been in mars hill for a very long time like going back to the paradox days of the early 2000s a lot of the people that went to anchor went all the way back to the paradox and mm -hmm. so it was like, we can have a small church experience with our friends that we made back when it was a small church. Yeah. And, but, but I think there was a whole lot of people with unprocessed trauma, shared trauma mm -hmm. from having all gone through their Mars Hill experiences of different sorts. And I think if they had processed it, they wouldn't have chosen to go to the closest possible thing to a Mars Hill in town. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. it was, it was, it felt like a safe landing for people that at least knew they needed to get out of Mars Hill. Right. And I think that was part of it too, is like, I was getting to know these people and seeing the trauma that Mars Hill actually had inflicted on people and they were still in church and it was still like I could, you could feel it sort of coming off of them. Yeah. So it was like I was 
getting this new awareness from a bunch of different sides of like what the, that church had actually done to people and that it wasn't just haters you know it wasn't just like oh these mean-spirited blogs don't read them sort of thing it was like no i know these people and this is authentic trauma <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I, and i think a lot of us just didn't know it at the time and and so how did it bubble up to the surface in, in our bodies and it expressed yeah. itself in things like panic attacks um yeah that it was it was a wild wild time um now i i did just want to touch a little bit on um you know you write for a horror podcast yeah uh it is october mm -hmm. we are recording like <laughs> a week away from harvest festival um i think there's another term for that but um, <laughs> not the other word there's no way of knowing yeah uh yeah i'm just i'm just sort of wondering when you were growing up, since since you didn't get super serious uh, about your church activity until junior high and high school, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I'm guessing that you probably didn't have a similar uh, harvest festival experience to me as a as a kid. But like, did you go trick or treating? Did you did you celebrate Halloween? I'm I'm wondering if you were like a repressed goth that wasn't <laughs> able to get out like. Parents um, saying that, you know, Halloween is celebrating the devil. We can't be into that. Or if there was some encouragement to enjoy this time and 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 have fun with it or what 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 was yeah, what was this time like for you? Um, I did go to Harvest Festival like in high school because my church had it and that's where my friends were. But we did trick or treating pretty much my whole life. Um, my mom is very theatrical and loves making costumes mm. so she was like pretty much fine with anything as long as it wasn't like a dark scary costume sort of thing so like i was a christmas tree in sixth grade um Ooh. that one was elaborate and heavy it was made out of a tomato cage and she put like ornaments and garlands on it and it had working yeah. lights and there's a picture of me somewhere i want to see this picture Christmas tree costumes. I don't know if you know this about me, but <laughs> I'm kind of a Christmas guy. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Big time. Yeah. 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 I I have been searching for that photo for years, but as soon as I find it, it's going on absolutely everything that's mine on the internet. Yes. <laughs> it's great. Um, yeah. So I, yeah. And my mom was not a fan of scary movies. I think I realized sometime in high school that I did enjoy scary movies. Um, and then especially getting into college, I was like, just sort of, I don't know, trying to see what stuck and like got really into Dexter at one point. And um, I think what I enjoyed about and still enjoy about horror is um I don't know, just like it goes there. <laughs> mm -hmm. It goes there and it's not afraid to discuss um, dark subjects in a way that's like very not scared of them. And like, I don't know, like people can handle it sort of thing. And I think the sense that I grew up with is like, oh, don't watch that. You won't be able to handle it. And right. so then watching these things like, oh, no, I can totally like, okay, whoa, I got a little, I got spooked there. I had a little bit of nightmares at first and now I'm sort of getting used to this and I'm, I don't know. It was, it's like a way of, uh, I think horror stories are like kind of primordial. Like humans are very used to telling horror stories and stories that make us scared and, and, you know, give us caution. 
uh i imagine some of the first horror stories were probably like don't go outside at night something's gonna eat yeah. you um sitting around I, a campfire yeah swapping <laughs> stories exactly uh don't whistle at night take your shoes inside uh things like that um so yeah i just uh and i love getting to write horror now because i feel like there's I don't know, just like new new ways to process things in my life in in an entertaining way. Um, like I I started this storyline back in oh this was a few years ago. Um, this must have been episode I think thirty three of the Sheridan tapes. Uh, we just finished recording episode ninety tonight, so that gives you an idea of how many episodes of this thing there are. Yeah. Wow. Um, and it was it's a storyline about this mushroom cult. And I had a hell of a good time writing that story. And I wrote this character, Amanita, who ends up sort of being like a ringleader. And she goes through this extra transformation. And now she's like a mushroom zombie goddess, essentially, in, in the show. And like, I absolutely love writing her because she she has the most calm talking voice and everything. And she says the most horrific shit. Um, and it's usually something very religious, something a little bit condescending, but yet you can't help but like her because she's also really charming. So there's been some interesting, like, religious demons <laughs> exercising I, through this I, Amanita I, character. <laughs> I looked up some of your tweets. I looked up tweets where you said, I wrote. And I found various <laughs> tweets where you listed oh some of the God. episodes that you wrote. And I noticed the titles of them tended to be religious in nature. Mm um what's like that's sin and sunlight or priests and something you know oh priestly altar saintly yeah Green. yeah that's the one that amanita shows up in first yeah and and i was like oh this is this is interesting like it, it definitely feels like finding a way to work through through some things here um hmm. real quick i since 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 you talked about you know purity culture and just the the nature of the evangelical uh theology and and church experience sort of having this disconnection with your body and and from creativity mm -hmm. um i in sort of thinking about my upbringing i i felt the same way but i also felt that because i was able to participate in plays at mm -hmm. my christian school and church that they accidentally like helped me get in touch with my body you know, like like acting Absolutely. is requiring you to get in touch with that yep. like, my parents ran a, a like worship leader supply store they sold all the the wow, christmas that's... musicals and easter musicals that the kids would perform and so i yeah. i like grew up in my spare time like listening to kids church musicals <laughs> and like <laughs> there's picking which ones, ones want to be in. <laughs> oh there's many many terrible yeah. ones Most i was in them. several bad ones yeah oh i want to hear them which i want to i want to know oh if i know God. them I, any I kathy hill bangers any like uh dr newhart's christmas cure we like sheep uh what do we got uh, go go jonah I'll tell the... you what, I've shoved those deep, deep down. <laughs> I couldn't tell you a thing about them. <laughs> I remember there was a song about emoticons because it was the year 2002. Oh, okay, I wouldn't have known it, that one. It was something about like a mom trying to relate to her teenage son. And it was, uh, <laughs> it, oh God, it was very like, what's up, fellow kids? Like in the, in the tone of the musical. I don't oh, remember my. what it was called, but I remember that. Yeah, it was like 
you know, like being a Christian in this modern age where there's emoticons. I don't know. So you did get to participate in in like church musical stuff. And and was that was that your first opportunity to perform? Um, Was that a formative thing for you? I guess I guess it would have been among the first, like other than like stuff at school like little stuff at school you know when you're in like fifth grade and sixth grade yeah uh and then when i got into eighth grade i started actually taking like drama classes at school so that felt definitely more comprehensive in terms of like education about what acting was what performance was um the musicals at at my well the christmas musical they put some more effort in acting and rehearsal into the youth musicals were like, if these damn kids would just show up and sing this song, we'll put them on a stage and we'll make them sway. And this will be a good time for the grandparents. Like that's sort of the, the energy that we had with those. So, And you were yeah. one of like three kids that was like really serious about it. <laughs> I'm certain I was. Yeah, yeah. I, I probably had the choreography down pat, was giving side eye to people, you know. <laughs> I had everybody's lines. Two Sundays away, you got to be off book. Come on, people. Yeah, Yeah. fully committed. That's how I still am. (laughs) That has not changed. Well, podcasts, you don't have to be off book at all, right? Yeah, no, that is great. I do love that about podcasting. It's way easier to just rope people in last minute and be like, read this as if you're not reading it. Okay, great. Thank you. Bye. (laughs) Very fast. Yeah. Right. So let's 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 go through some of the things I know I've been kind of dominating the questions. I think this will open it up for, for Dave to be able to ask more stuff as we've sort of gone through the elements of your your biography and things where like I've I've known you and Dave hasn't. But um, you, you said that the, the sort of areas that you focus on in your writing are grief, loss, religious trauma, queerness and the haunting mingling of horror, humor and heartbreak. That part mm-hmm. we don't cover as much on the show. Uh, we have, you know, talked about uh, horror films quite recently. Um, we we enjoy getting into spooky stuff this time of year. But uh, grief, loss, religious trauma, yeah. queerness these are these are mainstay topics for us. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I don't know if it matters what order you necessarily want to go into this, but I'm wondering how they became the central focuses of your creative work, how they maybe intersect for you. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let's start with grief and loss for me. I, I mean, I went through cancer when I was 15, but I still didn't really mm-hmm. understand that. I still did. I, I had that like invincibility feeling where like at mm-hmm. the time I didn't feel like I was close to dying, but like I was, yeah. you know, it was, it was a real bad uh, situation um you know i've i've been to funerals but it didn't i didn't experience that sort of like brain breaking grief uh until my dad died unexpectedly in 2018 mm-hmm. and have done a lot of work navigating that since then um i know a little bit but 
whatever you want to say, if you could talk yeah. about your relationship with, with grief and loss. Sure. I um. So that actually is perfect for talking about just the stuff that happened to me after anchor and like where I went from there. Um, we did actually go to one more church after that in Seattle, but we reached this point where we couldn't afford to live in Seattle anymore. So our move was actually uh, precipitated by that. And we moved into a condo with some people that we knew in Mammoth Lakes, California, like in the Eastern Sierra mountains. Um, ironically, we moved to a ski town to save money. Um, so <laughs> we did that. And then four days after we moved there, I found out I was pregnant. And uh, this was pretty unexpected because we figured by that point it, you know, it wasn't happening and we'll try again in a year or two. Um, so that kind of like changed all of our plans for what living there was going to be like. It was like, okay, well, I will not be learning how to snowboard and investing money into that because um, I have something else to prepare for. And the whole length of my pregnancy, I was like adjusting to this super high altitude. My body was changing. I was depressed. So I feel like I never really adjusted physically to living there for like almost a year. And that was pretty rough so I was like having a hard time emotionally and everything with the pregnancy also was I only attended a church a handful of times there Conrad kept going more often but I was like really beginning to feel the real like crashing down deconstruction stuff because I had this baby in me and I was like how would I ever believe that this baby is already evil how would I ever believe that? How would I ever look my child in the eyes and tell them this? I can't. That's ridiculous. I could never, ever do that. Also, at the same time, there was a lot of news coming out about like migrant children at the border. And I went to a Christmas Eve service where the preacher made some really offhand joke about it. And um, I like actually scolded him afterwards. And he looked horrified. Good for you. Because yeah. I was like a pregnant woman on Christmas Eve scolding him about not caring about migrant children. So I think that stayed with him. Um, and that is just <laughs> on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Um, I wow. don't know. I think he was just used to his, his, you know, dumb little audience of, of people that, you know, knew him and, uh, you know, maybe, I don't know, had more patience for his jokes. I did not have patience. Um, that, that's a rough one. So yeah. that was sort of the, that was a nail in the coffin for me, for sure. And my roommate at the time was like, if you hate this so much, why do you keep going? And her question was very blunt, but I was like, well, that's a good question. Why do I keep going? Because I don't think any of these people give a shit. And like, I am heartbroken over this. And they are getting together to take their little church holiday photos all wearing plaid and they live in the middle of the mountains and they're not thinking about this as a real thing. So it felt really alienating. Um, and unfortunately, um, on May 4th in 2019, I had a stillbirth. So oh gosh, that was at um, 36 weeks. So it was actually in his due month. And... Um, that was like, oh, that was the worst day of my life. But also, I am 
positive that I wouldn't have the life that I do now if I hadn't like cried and clawed and scraped my way through feeling all of that grief to turn it into something that I was proud of. Um, and I remember like in the moment they told me there was no heartbeat, I made this like split second decision before I realized what I was doing, where it was almost visual, like, am I going to slide down the mountain or am I going to keep climbing? And it was like, immediately I felt myself be like, I'm going to keep climbing. And for a while that just meant like being aware of what felt like a, a pilot light inside my heart that like I couldn't do much for a while. I ended up um, electing for a C-section and then I had to get emergency surgery after that because of uh, my bladder had gotten torn open. So oh I was gosh. like, I had a catheter for 10 days. My physical recovery was a little rougher than it should have been. And um, so I wasn't doing much, uh, wasn't even getting up to pee, which to be honest, was pretty great. I did enjoy that because I could just lay in bed. I could just lay in bed and sleep. I didn't have to get up for anything. And I could just tend to this little pilot light inside me and know that it was there and feel that self-trust in myself. Like, no, I'm really going to rest right now. And I'm really going to let this grow. And then when it grows big enough for me to do something new and different with it, I'll do it out of that energy. Because I think I had been so... Um, and I know like I'm sort of talking in a lot of metaphor and energy right now, but this felt almost literal to me in, in the way that I was experiencing it. Mm -hmm. It was like, I'm not going to make a move until that energy is already there for me to spend. I'm not going to push beyond something that is not there anymore. I'm not going to force things that don't feel right anymore. Like I remember before I went under for my second surgery, I, um, basically was like, when I wake up from this, I'm not going to be afraid anymore because what else could I fear? <laughs> sort of like yeah. this oh, happening when it did was like the worst thing that I could ever imagine happening, like in so many ways. And I have held my dead son and I have said goodbye to him. What else Goodness. could really matter after this? Like yeah. the fear of writing, that's not a real fear. The fear of being myself, that's not a real fear. And like, of course they're real fears, but it's like, it gave me so much clarity about what I really cared about spending my energy on. So, yeah, and death often just, does that. So, yeah, that is just unimaginably awful. And I'm so sorry. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I am grateful. Um, I'm grateful that my son came and stayed with me for a bit and uh, I think he's not, I think he's not done staying with me. I think in the work that I do as a death doula, he will be around. Um, and I think even just thinking about my own death someday, um, I feel comforted knowing uh, that he's already been through it. And, um, I, I have sort of like a, a vague spiritual sense of, um, I don't know, things that I might experience after I die. I think like near death experiences that I've read from people are like really interesting to me because they do happen to people. 
And it seems like people experience the same sort of things. Like they might experience a psychopomp or like a relative or a pet come and visit them when they're dying. They might experience seeing these people again. And that happens to people regardless of religion, beliefs, um, anything. And I would like to think that someday um, I'll be there. So, yeah, my, my wife had an experience like that while with one of her grandparents um, mm. that sounded pretty similar that she went to bed one night and she had what she describes as a dream where if I remember how she told it, her grandfather came and sat on her bed and yeah. told her goodbye or something. And she woke up the next morning and he was gone. That, you yeah. know, something similar happened to my husband. His oldest brother died during the pandemic and he, um, oh gosh, there's a term for it when you experience the feeling of death with someone who's close to you. Um, I don't remember it, but he felt like he was dying in the middle mm. of the night and was having like flashes of things that didn't make complete sense to him. It was like he was probably living his brother's last moments with him. And then wow. woke up to the news that he was gone, and it was like the same time as well. Um, yeah, so, there's yeah, there's just so much weird stuff out there. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I was going to ask you. So you do have you know some kind of spiritual beliefs. You're at least open to the possibility of an afterlife. Some great mystery. Some some great mystery. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a lot kinder than what I was raised to believe. Um, I letting go of the fear of hell was super, super helpful for me. I feel like um, it just did not make sense anymore to believe in that. Um, and it was sort of in the same vein of like when I was pregnant with my son, imagining telling him that he was born with original sin. I was like, honestly, this hell thing does not make sense. And this feels very, and it felt uh, abusive to me to be honest, to think about God being like, hey, just want to let you know, uh, you've actually done some things that are pretty messed up, and I know you don't know any of this, and you're just a human trying to live your best life. But I'm actually like so good that I've gone ahead and taken care of that for you. So all you need to do is pledge your um, very fearful, undying loyalty to me, and we will be all set. I was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. If I look at the universe around me, and look at all of the beautiful ways that all of this has come together. Look at the beautiful ways that people can heal and help and be with each other. And I'm genuinely, I'm meeting like very good people who are not Christians. And I'm meeting very bad people who are Christians. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think this theology is helping people. I think this theology is actually why there's so many awful Christians. And just in general... I do have a general bone to pick. Well, I'm really getting into it. I do have a general bone to pick with. Get into it. Virginia. I think fundamentalist religion in general can be very problematic. And I do not have the expertise to speak into anything other than Christianity. But it does seem to be a pattern that there can be a way that you are so focused on that, that stuff that it, it just like disconnects you from the magic that's happening now. Like, I think this is the magic. I think we're experiencing it right now and there might be some like ethereal spiritual magic like you know energy never dies and matter always moves into new forms there might be ways that like we can experience a sort of consciousness or a sort of existence outside of this life but 
like but we're we're in such a miracle right now <laughs> i i just think it's it's such a shame to like really miss out on full embodiment and full presence right now and like not holding yourself back from experiencing yourself and experiencing people and yeah. experiencing like just being curious about the way that other people live like why would you miss out on that that seems like a massive shame so i don't even remember where i started with that, that no that, that's ADHD? good that 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 <laughs> stuff has been huge for me in my deconversion process where I think so much of evangelical theology trained me to not focus on the present at all. Um, you know, mm -hmm. that, you know, this life is the blink of an eye compared to eternity. Yeah. Nothing we experience here is even close to how good we will, you know, right. the best meal you ever have in this world is nothing compared to what you'll have in heaven all the time at yeah. God's table with him. And it was just like constantly like, shitting on the experience of life mm -hmm. uh in order to paint this this picture of 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 eternity as the ultimate and everything and and i'm now just like hey all i got is these five senses and this body to experience it in and even if i can't get as far as like full-on body positivity i can i can rock with body neutrality and yeah, appreciate the, the functions <laughs> that my body can 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 do uh, mm -hmm. to help me navigate this world and the time I have in it and experience what I can experience. And I just felt like, like I spent almost 40 years being prevented psychologically from doing any of that. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's so freeing to realize that this world does have good stuff in it to experience and that I yes. can experience it. It's been so jarring. Like I've described it as I felt like I was born um, with like a filter in my brain to push everything through before I really knew what my original thoughts were behind yeah. it. And it was like really it, like it almost felt like a sort of psychosis to like let go of that, <laughs> get familiar with my original thoughts and like letting go of that, you know, filter in my brain of trying to filter everything through this Christian lens was like. That included the fear of hell. Um, that included, um, yeah, fears about me and my own sexuality, um, embracing the full weight of my creativity and everything. So, and and that all like, I just like step by step like took a bit more of that on through my grieving process, um, which will never really be over. But you know, those first couple years, especially after it. Um, I guess it was like a year and a half after my stillbirth that I like joined the production team for the Sheridan tapes. Um, and I'd been doing creative stuff for about a year um, prior to that and like had started doing some voice acting with my friend Van Winkle. And then they started the Sheridan tapes when the pandemic started. And then, you know, six months later, I was like producing and writing the show um, with them, like splitting it. And uh it, it like working on the show honestly has been incredible for me personally it's really helped me like just just the process of like how much i've needed to write for this show mm -hmm. <laughs> how much i've needed to level up like i didn't know anything about podcasting when i got into this i um 
you know, obviously had never written a 100 episode arc show. Um, I had never gotten to play a character for like more than one episode. And now I've played my character for like over 50 episodes. And that's been really cool too, to just experience like a character going through slow change over time and being able to write some things into my character too, that were like interesting for me to explore and things I was thinking through in my own life. Um, so yeah, through the process of working on this show, which is a very queer show, by the way, a lot of the characters happen to be queer, uh, which many of our negative reviews will be all too happy to tell you about. Um, <laughs> and basically, yeah, through this process, I, I am still married to my husband and we're figuring out what's um, going to be in the future for us. But I did realize about a year ago that I am a lesbian. Um, through dating my girlfriend, which was a, you know, it's it, ethically non-monogamous situation, basically. So that was pretty, uh, it was like devastating to realize that because my husband was not surprised. Um, Remember you saying that, that phrase was yes. really interesting. Oh. Yeah. And that's, and it was so, it was, it was, it was devastating to me because I was like, man, we get along so well. He's my best friend. Yeah. We have gone through so much together. We are still such good friends trying, you know, and communicating and working through our lives now and figuring out what's what's best for both of us in the future. And um, I am so glad I married him. No regrets at all. Um, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to love him the rest of my life. I'm a huge fan of his. And yeah, it, it was just like, man, this felt so secure. This felt like a thing, like I'd finally found a sort of home. And um, with how much I have moved around in my life, with how much I have had to be very independent of my family, like I don't really know <laughs> where home is. So that is actually something that is more of a, a current uh, pain that I'm going through is trying to figure out what is next for me now. Um, and what do I do? But I am also so grateful that I went through all of the painful stuff that I have in the past several years because I have those inner resources. Like I figured out how to find the wisdom inside of me and how to seek out wisdom that feels good to me. That's not about giving me a set of rules to follow, but it's about like, well, here's how you listen for what's right. And that's been key, I think. Um, and it's like, I don't know. Well, it's no wonder that the church doesn't want women to listen to themselves because I feel like church would be a lot different if women were allowed to listen to themselves, if men were allowed to listen to themselves. Like, I can't help but think about how often that, like, lean not on your own understanding first mm -hmm. has been weaponized against people to yeah. get them to shut up and just do what they're told. And, like, I don't think that's the point of that at all. <laughs> I don't think that's... Yeah. So many of those verses proper. are just taken out of context. Even yeah, and I and I think I also reached a point where I'm like, well, even if that is the context, I don't vibe with that. <laughs> like, <laughs> I I I was for for a bit in a point where I was like, oh, I should try to you know still keep on to some Bible ap apologetics, and then at a certain point, I was like, nah. <laughs> um, I and I and I don't want to minimize that that might still be an important process for some people because it certainly was for me, but um. I don't know. I think I am much more interested in 
just being honest about what does and doesn't resonate with me. And that doesn't make me any less of a, of a kind and genuine person in the world. Like I, I say all of the things that I say disparagingly about religion with all of the love in my heart for people who have experienced that pain. And if people are still in it and, and feel loved and cared for truly, like truly, truly, then I'm very happy for you. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at with that. <laughs> uh, now you mentioned um, back a little ways being a death doula. And I yeah. wanted to ask you about this line of your work. Um, I just ran across today. I think, I think it was on uh, Dan Koch's Twitter. He has the, you have permission podcast, but he was, you know, it's something simple. Like he was talking about, animals don't have a conception that they're going to die but human beings do and so life is having to deal with that he has a psychology background i think he's working on his doctorate right now so he thinks about all things about the mind i have a neighbor who's been on our show who's also a psychologist i have lots of psychologist people around me right now <laughs> um but yeah dealing dealing with death is the issue that whether we're Christians or not Christians or a member of another religion, we all have to think about it. Mm -hmm. We all are going to go through it at some point. How, um, how did you get into that line of work and, and what is that like being a death doula? I um, will have to tell you more when I really get into it because I just went through my education earlier this year uh, through this organization called death wives. They're great. Highly recommend them. Uh, I think where, where I am at with my work in it is I am really like, I, I had to focus on creative work over the summer cause I got so behind and it's like, yeah, I'm producing 25 episodes at once. No wonder I got behind. But, um, what I want to focus on in my work is one thing I want to start with is, um, like helping queer and formerly religious people put their end of life plans together. Because I think something that not a lot of people think about is just generally end-of-life plans. But also, if you are single or may become single, or if, you know, your partner dies at the same time as you, and your your next of kin, your family will get to decide how your funeral goes. And for some people, queer people, for formerly religious people, that could be an experience that does not reflect you and I can't think of anything more insulting than like your friends who truly love you showing up and they're like misgendering you or they're reading scripture that you do not vibe with it's like so it's really important to me you know for me and my immediate community of people especially to like figure out a process for that help people get that together um so I I feel like from the beginning that was one thing that I was like oh I want to focus on that um generally speaking I felt called to this because when I had my stillbirth, I had like amazing nurses around me and a therapist, trauma therapist, a massage therapist. And all of these, um, they were all happened to be women were so incredibly healing and the strength that they offered me and the space that they offered me was like, it just felt like a miracle anytime they offered something to me. And um, I was like, well, I want to, I think I need to engage with this in the future. I think I need to find a way to be there for people like they've been there for me. And I had seen some stuff about death doulas in the previous few years, but it was like not quite time for that. 
And then when I started dating my girlfriend, uh, she is in school to be a midwife. And it was really interesting just feeling in our relationship, like being really inspired by the passion that she has for that and the care that she has for that and how seriously she takes it and how there's um, like so much just like willingness to be there with people in these like transition moments. And it reminded me like, oh yeah, I said that was a thing that I wanted to do. And then I saw there was like a special for death school and I was like, well, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and so I, this is how I know she's right for me. It's because I, I feel inspired to be the version of me that I know I need to be um, in, in my relationship with her. So uh, I, yeah, I'm, apologies for any brain scrambling moments that are happening right now. I had a three hour recording session before this <laughs> for my podcast. Um, and I'm just like in the, in the middle of this point in my life where I'm like, okay, I need to get my website down. I need to get two websites down. I need to figure out my offerings as a death doula. I need to initiate myself and be a hospice volunteer. I need to like find ways to go be with people who might be more immediately dying. And these are like things that I am prepared for education wise. But like I have been too busy with creative work to get into it. So, well, I mean, you 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 say now in, in the moment that like the act doing the actual work, you know, over the course of a few hours in one day that it scrambles your brain. But I, I sort of get the impression. I'm wondering if you're thinking this as well, that that doing the work for that show uh, or in the long term has been a clarifying experience. Yes. Now, now, when so. You, you said you realized that you're a lesbian, but I believe you initially came out as bi. Yep. Um, and at the time said, yeah, lis listeners of the show are probably not going to be surprised. Mm -hmm. uh, and I sort of wonder if if that's something that you'd understood to some extent about yourself and consciously wrote into the show, or if writing on the show helped you realize that about yourself. Um, and that also connects to just the creative process, wondering about how, how you process trauma. Like I'm a talker. I have a podcast talking about a lot of things uh, relating to religious trauma. I see a, mm -hmm. a therapist that specializes in religious trauma creatively. Like I write music, but I'm, I'm, I've never been like a lyrics first person. I think people that are more focused on creative stuff, dealing with like concrete words and things are more likely to derive specific meanings from those words and i'm 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 wondering if if you have processed your trauma and if you have figured out these things about yourself through your creative work more than therapy or whatever um well i trauma therapy and like emdr and like a very skilled therapist at the beginning was like absolutely essential for me and I don't think I would have been able to connect to my creative work if I hadn't had like an actual clinical therapeutic thing to work through first because I think you can't work everything out through your art I think that can lead to a lot of problems um but I think once you have like the hair on fire stuff sort of dealt with it can be a really powerful tool for being able to sit down over a long period of time and like you have enough internal tools to have these conversations with yourself and to explore themes in your work 
that um, like you can sort of take that back and process it. Cause I think the goal of therapy is not like you are in it forever necessarily, but like you learn the tools that you need to learn so that you feel more empowered in your own life. So I think that's sort of the point that I reached. Um, and I have, you know, gone back a couple of times, of course, since then for like little bits of time to, you know, make sure I was just catch up on some processing, process some new things. Um, I So in terms of the queerness question, I uh, <laughs> remember a couple days before I found out I was pregnant, I was drunk on my birthday, processing aloud with my new roommate and my husband that I was probably bi. And then the moment I found out I was pregnant, I was like, I'm going to need to put this one back in the box. <laughs> <laughs> I have so much to think about right now. And I was just like, so immediately overwhelmed. So I literally was like, I will save this one for later. <laughs> um, so that was sort of immediately on my mind again, as soon as everything happened uh, with my son, I was like, well, I guess I will get around to thinking about this again. Um, so it really, it's not been, it's been a really long process with that. And I think really what I had to do before I could even engage with the reality of being queer is I had to let go of the fear that was in the way that even even acknowledging it was dangerous. That even um, entertaining the thought that I could be happy with somebody who wasn't a man someday was like an automatic ticket to hell. Um because I think it's like sexuality is such a space where like for like you have to feel safe to really be there. And I wasn't safe until I had gotten to work through the rest of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah, it's funny if I had just gosh, if I had just waited six more months to make that Instagram post. But I, I did. I came <laughs> I came out as as by last June. And then started dating my girlfriend at the end of July last year. And then, yeah, within a few months was like, so about that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I, social media is tricky because like, I, I feel like I used to overshare when I was heavily in the church. And I think oversharing in general was sort of encouraged. Yeah. And accountability groups. Yes. Yeah. And um, now I'm like, well, I do want to share about certain things, but it's exhausting to like live my life for like the reel that I'm going to put together later to put on my social media. I've really been enjoying my private life lately. So uh, that that's just a little tangent there. But it's like like have like coming to terms with like, well, no, this is important enough for me to finally be able to post about my girlfriend. Like we've been dating for a year. It's time. Uh, and I, you know, don't want to do that without saying something about Conrad and how much I love him and how important he is to me because people have known me for any length of time. That's going to be one of their first questions. Like how is Conrad? What happened to him? What's yeah. going on? Um, so it's like, I was almost like, okay, no, this is really important to me. I do want to do this, but also it sucks that this is the way I have to do this. Like, I wish it wasn't on social media, but I'm also glad it's on social media because I do want people to know me and like, I don't know, for fans of the show who follow me to understand that like all of these, 
you know, things about queerness that I'm writing about are incredibly personal to me. But um, yeah, it's so weird being like, okay, time to put something very private out there for people to read and judge <laughs> and uh, form form fan theories about my life <laughs> in secret. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, especially the the ethical non-monogamy part of this. Like, I definitely had a couple people just uh, message me with a ton of questions after that and, um, you know, disclose their own, like, I've been thinking about this sorts of things. And I'm like, oh, my mm -hmm. God, this is what I, I, I'm like, am I equipped for this? I didn't want to be <laughs> an yeah. E&M counselor for anybody. I don't know what I'm doing. I literally right. just wanted to date this one person. <laughs> so um anyway it's like a it's it's a weird thing as a creator to realize that there is this pressure to like have a statement about everything so even about my own life it's like I'm all of a sudden an advocate for um E&M relationships when I really would prefer not to be I think there are people who are much wiser on this topic than I am and like I said I literally uh, I literally changed my marriage to just date the one person. So <laughs> I'm not the best person to ask. I, yeah, we, and, yeah. I mean, we were just talking about that, that processing parts of yourself through your work, yeah. fi figuring like if the show has helped you uh, excavate <laughs> your, your, your yeah. true self, you know, that, that in, in your church life and all that had done a great job of, of uh, digging a deeper hole for. Yeah. There's like there's so many queer characters on our show and like central relationships between gay characters and um, I think just getting to spend time so much mental time in a world where like gay people are in all sorts of relationships and some are going well and some are not going well and they're just normal relationships like that was a a cool thing for me to spend a lot of time in as I was processing all of this because I think it's like um yeah it's it's just hard to mentally get yourself into that space if you grew up in something different and so yeah just getting to explore in in, in fantasy land and fiction land and like what does it look like when two men are in love when two women are in love when there's like there's bi people, there's asexual people, there's, you know, there's all sorts of things happening and that can be just as normal a part of the world as like, also there are ghosts and monsters. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's been really fun. And I think like the, there's, um, there's a lot of queer horror podcasts out there, actually. We are for sure not the only ones and definitely not the first ones. Um, We've drawn inspiration from some really great ones out there, and there's some amazing creators out there. Um, if if you have not gotten into fiction podcasts, I highly recommend. Um, would be happy to provide personal recommendations. Slide them into my DMs <laughs> and tell me what you like. I'll find some for you. Um, well, anyway. if you want to name, if I mean, we I know Dave Dave uh, Dave's got a hard out in a few minutes, so we need to we need to wind oh, yeah. this up. But sure. if if you'd like to shout out a few of your favorites that you think may have sort of general appeal to that that, yes. have, that have been hits uh to to people in your life uh more often than not go for it um wooden overcoats is a fantastic comedy it's set on this like tiny 
island outside of Britain and it's about two um, competing funeral homes and it's absolutely hilarious. So please listen to Wooden Overcoats. Uh, I love the Magnus Archives if you really enjoy horror. Um, it's it's a big show. It's it's a great listen. Um, of course, you can listen to my show, The Sheridan Tapes, if you like found family, found footage, queer stuff. Uh, it, it takes a meandering journey and we are almost at the, the end and it's it's been a really fun uh, ride. If you like fantasy, I recommend Feminist Fairy Tales or Tales of the Echowood. I have worked on both of these shows and um, they're super fun. Um, gosh, what's another one? Uh, Apocalypse Songs is a six episode horror podcast from New Zealand that is like a um, this reporter looking into a, a mysterious musician from the 60s and it gets really weird and fun and uh, the people behind it are fantastic. Please listen to Apocalypse Songs. So I think those are that my That sounds like my, my sort of thing. That sounds Yeah, really I think good. you would really like it. Yeah. yeah. We did a crossover Ooh. with them too, actually, our 60th episode of the Sheridan oh, yeah? Tapes, which was really is fun. The, the Sheridan right Records? The Sheridan Re Real? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, oh, what do we call it? We called it A Clarion Calling, which is a reference from Apocalypse Songs. And there's a couple other sneaky little references in there too. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> Virginia, it was so great to meet you and thank you for coming on our show and yeah, talking to us. Thank you. I, I hope it we got to the, the all the stuff that you wanted to. I know it was a meandering journey, but yeah, I am in process and uh <laughs> yeah, we, we all are we tend yep. to be me more meandering in these conversations if it's not, you know, an author where we've like done all this research and read mm -hmm. their book and prepared all this stuff, you know? Yeah. Someday. Um, <laughs> but yeah. Do you think you will? I think so. Yeah. yeah? Cool. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, I, I, I look forward to that. Um, please give my regards to, to my most sincere regards to, to Conrad. <laughs> we'll do uh, it. I, I, I don't know. I think I had very little kids when I met you and didn't get out mm -hmm. to do much stuff. Didn't really <laughs> leave the house, but always sort of felt, like we could have been buds. You um, absolutely could, yeah. And uh, so I'm able to do stuff now. <laughs> so if you, if you if you get up to <laughs> Seattle, uh, feel free to to let me know, and 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 we can we can uh, get together for whatever. Um, or if I get down to to New Mexico, maybe I'll I'll let you know. But uh, cool. yeah, yeah, I, I I really appreciate. You know, I picked up your story and just bits and pieces here and there, you know, I've had to develop my fan fiction for your private, your personal life. And <laughs> yeah. now I get the, like the, the direct scoop. So right. that's, you, that's you what can I'm looking still enjoy for. the fan fiction. If you really want to, that's okay. <laughs> All right. Do you want to share uh, where, where people can find you on social media, if you want them to find you or, or, uh, or if you want them to hire you, maybe where can they reach out to you? Absolutely. Uh, my website is virginiaspots.com, S-P-O-T-T-S. Uh, my social media is at Virginia Spots on Twitter and Instagram. So, yeah, that's where I am. Cool. Well, thank you Excellent. very much, Dave. Uh, well, Zach, I am sorry that my bid to try and make you Speaker of the House failed. I know. I know. Although, honestly, I don't think anybody's allowed power in this country if they aren't a christian anymore glad i could introduce you to, to virginia really enjoyed catching it was great up with talking her. to virginia 
as soon as she posted that she was becoming a death doula, I was just like, I have never heard of this. And wow, I am so glad that this exists. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I just, I didn't know what a doula was until we hired one when we, when we were having our first, our first kid. Uh, Likewise. You know, it's, you know, so I'm, I don't want to assume that everybody here knows what that is. You know, it's very similar to a midwife. You know, it is somebody yes. who comes alongside the, the, the person giving birth and, and uh, offers assistance and, and, you know, has a help, helps them, you know, respect respect the process and and of of the the whole ordeal and helps you know you know we we had one that was with us in a hospital so they kind of served as a liaison that could sort of decode hospital speak for us and help us understand what was going on Um, that's super helpful they're just an, an invaluable resource that uh really helped keep the experience um more peaceful, uh, more, more, uh, positive. And, uh, so yeah, you know, somebody that, that, that does that for people who know that death is imminent. Um, and, uh, people that, that, that love somebody that, that knows that death is imminent. Um, you know, earlier on this show, we we talked to to my friend Lindsay, who's who became a, a hospital chaplain during the height of COVID, and and similarly yeah. was wow. dealing with helping people in in end of life care. Um, yeah. but this is a a different sort of approach, and you know what Virginia was saying specifically about how she wants to be able to to focus on, uh queer folks, people that have left faith, um, you know, people, people that like have lost that social safety net, uh, that, that support structure maybe, um, that, uh, want to make sure that they are honored in death and, and not have their story rewritten by, by people that, that don't respect who they are and their, and their, and their beliefs and things like that that sounds like important, valuable work that's going to be meaningful to a lot of people. This has been another episode of Veterans of Culture Wars. Thank you so much for listening to us. Wherever you like to get podcasts, please leave a rating and a review as that helps other people find our show. We also have a Patreon, and you can support us at VCW Pod on the Patreon. Uh, please consider supporting the podcast by the time you hear this there will be one patreon episode out and we will be doing more in the future so if you want to hear those you need to be a supporter of the show on the x twitter app i am at dave j lester zach is at muzak m-u-z-a-c-h and you can go to zach's website muzak.bandcamp.com and order a vinyl christmas record or hear some of the other music that he has done i have another podcast does the bible say that that you can listen to wherever fine podcasts are sold thanks again for coming on down to vcw and remember as always the podcast is free but you still need to tithe 10 percent. <laughs> <laughs>